But wait just a minute. That brings us now to chapter 43. And we come now to what I consider the most dramatic section of the Word of God. Well, maybe I ought not to put it quite like that. Let me say of the book of Genesis. But I know of nothing that is quite as moving as the appearance of Benjamin now before Joseph. And the thing that brings them down in the land, again, is the seriousness of the famine. If the famine had lifted, I think Simeon would have spent the rest of his life in jail down in the land of Egypt, or at least until his brother released him. But the famine, verse 1 of chapter 43 of Genesis now, "...and the famine was sore in the land. And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. We'll starve to death if you don't go down to Egypt. Now listen to Judah. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us. Who is the man? Well, the man here is Joseph, their brother, but they don't know it. The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we'll not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. Well, it was just a cut-and-dried proposition, friend. Either they take his brother, or else they don't go. And it's just as simple as that. And Israel said, verse 6 now, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? Now, poor old Jacob, he's really frustrated. He says, Why in the world did you tell the man in the first place that you even had another brother? Well, of course, he would have known it anyway. So we find here, Paul Jacob wishes they'd kept their mouth shut. Verse 7, And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? They're very reasonable about it. They said, we were not going to tell him everything, but he kept probing us. In fact, the matter is, he was going to get the information out of them. You can be sure of that. Now, will you notice verse 8, And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. I'll stand for him. For of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. You and I have a surety today, friends, and he came from the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus. He took my place and became my surety. He took my place and paid my penalty. I wasn't able to deliver to God. I wasn't able to meet his standard. I wasn't able to come up. 
to his level. But the Lord Jesus stepped in and became my surety. He gave his life for me. May I say what a picture we have here. Then let me bear the blame forever, for except we had lingered, surely now we'd return this second time. We could have been back by now, Judah says, if you just let us go at the first. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land of your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. You see, the thing they lacked was grain. They lacked bread, the staff of life. They had apparently honey and spices. So old Jacob now says, let's send the man down a gift. Let's get on the sweet side of it. And take double money in your hand. And the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Peradventure, it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin, that is, Simeon and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, well, I'm bereaved. And the men took that present. They took double money in their hand. And Benjamin rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And friends, I can't wait next time. But we're going to have to stop right there today because I want to see this most dramatic moment in the book of Genesis, maybe in the Bible, for it's a picture of another scene. Now, friends, this is a dramatic moment. He looks down, not at ten boys, but eleven of them. And frankly, all twelve of them are there together. Will you notice this? Verse 16, And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. Now, why would he do this? Well, I think it's quite obvious of why that he would do this. Joseph invites these brethren of his home because he did not want to make himself known unto them publicly. He wanted to be a private affair. Now, will you notice, they go home. The man did as Joseph bad, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time, are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. Now, these men are really panicky now because they can't imagine him inviting them to his home for any good because he's dealt with them so harshly before, and now he's invited them home for lunch. Again, here is something that under ordinary circumstances would be something to brag about, as if the president of the United States had invited you to the Blue Room for dinner or the pink room, or better still, the dining room, and you were invited there for dinner. Why, you would think it was a wonderful thing. But in this particular instance, 
it brings no joy to these men whatsoever. You see, they have a guilt complex, and it's a mean one, because they are the ones that sold their brother. And there is a strange parallel here. And when they finally got there, they wondered, they began to speculate, was it because our money was put back in the bag and he's been seeking an occasion to take us and make slaves of us? Well, they didn't hesitate to make a slave of him and sell him down into the land of Egypt. Now, will you notice, verse 19, "...and they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, and they communed with him at the door of the house, and said, O sir..." We came indeed down at the first time to buy food. It came to pass when we came to the end that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. We brought it again in our hand. Are they beginning to apologize? They beginning to plead, you see. They even tell this man that's brought them there, who evidently was an official. Listen to them, verse 22. And other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sack. And this official had been instructed. Joseph had told him what to say. He said, Peace be to you. Fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. Now, this man, evidently, through the testimony of Joseph, had come to a knowledge of the living and true God. And I think Joseph had let him in, at least partially, on what was taking place. And the man says, well, I had your money. And I think that frightened him all the more. Verse 24, And the man brought the man into Joseph's house, gave them water. They washed their feet. And here goes that foot washing again. We saw it in Abraham, you remember, and then down in the city of Sodom. And they washed their feet, and he gave their asses provender. And they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. They couldn't imagine being invited to lunch. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand, into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And here they go down on their faces before Joseph, and they confessing that they brought a present. You remember that old Jacob told them, said, bring a present down to the man. And they bowed themselves to the earth. That fulfills the prophecy again. Now notice verse 27. He asked them of their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? May I say to you, that's a dramatic moment. Joseph is probably there sitting on some elevation, probably not a throne necessarily, but a place of prominence. And these men are bowing down before him. Now they get up and Joseph looks at them right in the eye, and they look at him. And he says to them, Is your father the old man of whom ye spoke? Is he yet alive? How is he? You see, he's interested. After all, he's his father also. And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He's yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And here they go down on their faces again. 
I'd love to have had a picture of that, wouldn't you? These brethren, and Benjamin's with them now, and he goes down too now because, after all, all of them went down. Notice what he did. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. You see, the others were his brothers, but half-brothers. This boy is his full brother, his mother's son. And he said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And I think they nodded, and he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. It's his brother. This is really a dramatic moment. And Joseph can't take it any longer. Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn. That is, oh, his heart went out to his brothers. His heart yearned upon his brother. And he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And he said to his brothers, Excuse me a moment. Someone wants me on the telephone. And he got out of there as quickly as he could. He went into his own private quarters and he wept because he never thought maybe he'd ever see his brothers again, his own brother Benjamin. Maybe the famine's near to an end now. Add seven more years. He's 40, some odd years old. That is, Joseph is. And Benjamin is the youngest one of all, but he's a young man now. And so Joseph entered into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. Now, here is a marvelous, wonderful picture that is yet to be fulfilled. And I hope that you'll see in this something that's quite wonderful. Zacharias said that he's going to make himself known unto his brethren someday. They're going to ask him about nail prints in his hands. And that he's going to, at that time, the Lord Jesus said, I receive those in the house of my friends. Then they'll know him. They'll recognize him. Then they will weep. But he has provided salvation for them. He's provided redemption for them. Now, that's going to take place when the Lord Jesus comes back to the earth the second time. He'll be revealed to his brethren, the nation Israel. That is, there'll be that remnant there. There'll be many there that they didn't know him. <laughs> they didn't believe he came the first time. But then they're going to know him. Remember, the brethren of Joseph are the ones who delivered him into slavery. They sold him. They got rid of him. Now he's going to make himself known to his brethren. And may I say to you today, Christian friend, Beware of anti-Semitism. Some of those people are the brethren of our Lord. And there's coming a day when he's going to make himself known unto them. It's a family affair. <laughs> you better let his family alone. No Christian can engage in anti-Semitism. And I don't care how blind the nation Israel is, and I don't care what they engage in today. I'm perfectly aware of what you are aware of, that they are not always as lovely as some of us are, especially those of us that are Scotch. Oh, are we lovely people? Yes, but may I say some of the Scotch have been pretty mean. Again, let me repeat, friends, 
this is a wonderful scene here. It's a dramatic scene. Notice, he washed his face, went out, refrained himself, and said, set on bread. Let's eat. Get it over with. But this is an amazing meal. And they set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Now, there's several things that this meal that these brethren, if they hadn't been so frightened, might have noticed. The first one is this, that he's not eating with the Egyptians. Egyptians ate alone. Joseph was separate from them. But after all, he's the brass. He's the head man in this particular place. Now, will you notice something else? And they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one at another. Now, when Joseph put the place cards around, Joseph went around and he said, Reuben, you sit here. He put Benjamin way down at the end, and he put all the brethren in their right order. And they looked at each other in amazement. How do you know all that? But they're not suspicious at all of who he is because naturally they're blind to who he is. Now, will you notice? And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. He served them, you know. He served their plates. And I wish we had another word here instead of sent messes to them, because it sounds rather messy, but it wasn't. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. Again, he just couldn't refrain from showing his affection for his own brother. So he gave him five times as much. I bet that boy that had been through that famine, I bet that he had a real meal for the first time. And they drank and were merry with him. It was a glorious affair. What a wonderful day it'll be when he reveals himself to his brethren. Now that brings us to the 44th chapter here. And again, we have a very wonderful chapter before us here. And we find that Joseph now is going to send his brethren away with corn, but he's got something else up his sleeve, and it is to test their affection for the youngest brother, for his own brother, Benjamin. You see, they sold him in slavery. Now they changed would they, any one of them, be willing to give his life for his brother? Joseph's going to really find out something about these. And this brings Judah into a marvelous picture here because Judah was willing to take his place. Now, let me read verse 1 of chapter 44. He commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the man's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. When they were gone out of the city, and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up! Follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? 
ye have done evil in so doing. Now, it was his cup. And you will notice that he speaks of the fact that he divineth. I'll say something about that in a minute because we come to it later. Verse 6, he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. In other words, the brethren start out. They think everything is all right. And when they get out a little ways, they're overtaken. Here comes a whole troop after them. And the accusation is made. Somebody got Joseph's cup. One of you fellows heisted his cup. He says, Behold the money which we found in our sacks' mouths we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. They were so sure that none of them had gotten the cup. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it's found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, opened every man his sack, and he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and laid it every man his ass and returned to the city. They went back. They're not going back home without Benjamin, you may be sure. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. Here they go down before him again, and this time I tell you it's in dismay and agony. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not are, know ye not, that such a man as I am can certainly divine? Now, Joseph apparently was a prophet, apparently was able to tell the future. And we know that's so because he interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler and also Pharaoh himself. He was a prophet, and he apparently used this cup in it. This was a gift that God had given him. You must understand this is before Revelation. Now, don't you run and get a cup or go to anybody that's got one and think you can read tea leaves or something like that. That's all perfect nonsense today. And this business of the horoscope that's got so many people involved today it's absolute nonsense, and it reveals the sad spiritual condition that people are in when they'll turn to that sort of thing. This was a gift God had given this man. Now, Judah comes to the front, and the nobility of this man stands out. You can see probably why, out of the tribe of Judah, the Savior's coming. Will you note? Verse 16, And Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? And I think this, again, is one of the finest speeches that this man is going to make here. And I won't be able to finish it all today. It just looks like in this continued story we get to the dramatic point, then I have to leave off. But let me read. And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. 
Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. He makes full confession that it's because of their sin that this has come upon them. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Now, you see, he's going to hold Benjamin. And he says to these other brethren, go on home. You're free. But Benjamin's going to stay. Now, listen to Judah. Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. You see the position that Joseph occupies. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. And his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then will we go down. For we may not see the man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he's torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. We're looking here in the 44th chapter of the book of Genesis to one of the most human stories and dramatic stories that you possibly could have. You'll recall that the family of Joseph, that is, the boys, 11 of them have now come down to the land of Egypt again to buy corn. Joseph insisted that they bring their brother Benjamin with him, and they brought him along. And he made them a dinner, invited them to dinner. And as we concluded chapter 43, we read, they drank and were merry with him. Apparently, they were at ease now. They accepted Joseph's hospitality, and they feel very comfortable. But he's preparing a test for them, and we saw that he sent them back home, but he took his cup. I wish I could say more about that cup, but it was used for divining, for prophecy. I don't think you can read into it here anything of a heathen nature, for this man was a prophet of God. We've had several instances of that. But we find that that cup was put in the sack of Benjamin, 
And when the brethren came back, they were so sure that the cup was not there, they said, the man should be put to death if you find it in any sack. And the rest of us will be your slave. They were so sure it was not with them. But, of course, Joseph had put it in Benjamin's sack purposely or had one of his servants there to do that. When it was discovered, all of them came back. They went in before Joseph, and Joseph wanted to test them now about their love for their brother, Benjamin. He says, all right, Benjamin is guilty. Leave him here. He'll be my slave. You see, they had sold him into slavery one time. And now he says, just leave him here. He'll be my slave. The rest of you can go home. But we're told that Judah came near to him. And believe me, Judah pled for his brother. And he's speaking for all of them. He recounts the history, and it's a very tender story of how he said that they had to come again to the land of Egypt. Now, there's several things here that I think we need to note. I think that Judah here in this statement of recounting of what's happened and the condition of their father, that actually the father had been deceived, and Joseph can see that now. And what actually was told the father, what had happened to him. And you wonder whether this isn't a confession now. I feel that it is, for this is the first time these boys actually said exactly what had happened to the other one. That is, they said he was not, that he was dead, but they hadn't told anything about him at all. Now, we also see something else, that Jacob is growing in grace. But he hasn't arrived for the very simple reason that instead of trusting the Lord, he's leaning on this boy Benjamin, and actually it would have killed him. I'm sure of that had he gone down. There are those today, Christians, that when death comes, that sometimes they can reveal and do reveal a wonderful faith in God. And others, that the taking of a loved one absolutely causes them to collapse. And I don't care how much you love a loved one, friends. As a child of God, you ought to know if they are a child of God, you're going to see them someday. And the one walking by faith is not going to collapse at a time like that. Then you recognize, therefore, that Jacob has not arrived yet, but we're going to see he's growing in grace. Now listen here to this boy Judah, for he here is making a tremendous statement. And I'm reading now again verse 29, And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up, in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth that the lad's not with us, that he'll die. And thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever." Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord. 
and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father? You notice the concern that Judah had here for old Jacob? And Judah is the spokesman for the group. I think any one of the other brothers would have made this same statement. It's a magnificent statement. And he is the spokesman for the group. Any one of them would have done this. And Joseph now has made the test. Judah's willing to take his place. Now, friends, there came one later on in the line of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he bore the penalty for the guilty. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the place of the guilty. Now, Judah's willing to take Benjamin's place. Now, that brings us to chapter 45, and this incident just continues right on here. And here is where Joseph now reveals himself to his brethren and identifies himself with them. Now, notice this in verse 1 of Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, this time, he couldn't get out of the room. <laughs> he just broke down and began to weep. And no one knows why except Joseph. His own brethren at this time do not know. And the servants that are there, the Egyptians didn't know. And now Joseph is going to clear the room. He says, "'Cause every man to go out from me.' And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus, as we said last time, is going to make himself known unto his brethren. He came the first time. He came unto his own. His own received him not. And they delivered him to be crucified. But the day is coming when he comes the second time. He'll make himself known unto them, and one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Make himself known in that day to his brethren. In that day, why, there'll be open, we're told, a fountain for cleansing in Jerusalem. That is a family affair. And that is the time that he makes himself known to them, the Lord Jesus. What a picture this is. Now, after the others got out, poor Joseph, he's just so charged with emotion here. I'm sure you can visualize the pent-up emotion of Joseph at this point. And we're told here, he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. They couldn't understand what had happened over at Joseph's palace. He couldn't conceal his feelings. Now will you notice the reaction of his brothers? And Joseph said unto his brethren, I'm Joseph. 
Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were... The word trouble that we have in our translation is really not strong enough, for they were terrified at his presence. I tell you, if you think they were afraid before, they really are afraid now. About 23 years before, they had seen him, and the last they saw of him, they had sold him to the Ishmaelites. Believe me, they feel now that he'll want to get revenge. They're absolutely afraid. They're terrified. But there was no basis for their fears. Will you listen? And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. I'm your brother. And this is the dramatic moment of this incident. Can you imagine how they feel about it? Now... Notice the reaction of Joseph here. He's not angry, and he doesn't seek revenge. Why doesn't he do that? A normal human reaction would be, well, I'll take care of you, brethren, now for what you did to me. Listen to him. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. You see, the thing that Joseph could see in all of this, that God had permitted this for a purpose, that God was moving in his life. If you and I could see the hand of God in our lives, actually would we become angry and seek revenge? I don't think we would. If you'll notice the explanation that he gives here, this man, he gives God the glory. He says, God sent me before you. Now, listen, let me read on. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. God had been in his life. And you can see now that this famine is yet to run. Well, we'll see in verse 11. He says, And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty, so that, frankly, there was about two years into the famine. Now, notice he sees the hand of God. Listen to him. Verse 8, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. God was back of it. Verse 9, Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph. God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And so he sends up word for his father to come down. We'll read on. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, For yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. 
In other words, actually, Jacob and his family could not have survived had they stayed up in the land of Palestine at this particular time. They would have perished. And so Joseph wants to bring them down to the land of Goshen, which is actually the best part of that land. And it was in that land that God was going to make them a nation, sheltered from the rest of the world. Out of the land of Canaan, it's in this place. And the life of the family reveals they needed to get out of the land of Canaan. Now, verse 12, he says, "...and behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it's my mouth that speaketh unto you." I think that they stood there absolutely spellbound and were down on their faces and up again and just had absolutely nothing to say as they listened to Joseph speaking words that absolutely seemed unbelievable and would have been had he not been right there before them. Now, will you notice as we read on here, And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that you've seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. This is a tender scene. These two brothers, full brothers, both marvelous men, Joseph and Benjamin. And moreover, he kissed all of his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. Don't you see that they absolutely were puzzled. They were stunned. They didn't know what to say. Now they begin to recover their senses, and they have quite a talk. And so this thing now is spreading abroad. We read here, "...and the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house." saying, Joseph's brethren have come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. You see, what had happened was that all this noise of this carrying on, that it caused everybody to hear, and Pharaoh won't know what was going on. One of the servants from Joseph's house came by, and Pharaoh said to him, what's going on over there? He said, well, do you know those 11 men that came down from the land of Canaan, they are his brethren. Well, it delighted Pharaoh. And why would it delight him? Well, he was of the same racial strain that Joseph and his brethren were. You see, the Hyksos kings were on the throne now, and they had come from out in the desert, and they probably hadn't been able to trust the Egyptians too much. And so Pharaoh was delighted to have somebody that he could trust. Now he's delighted that there are going to be some more. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beasts, and go, get you into the land of Canaan. Take your father, your households, and come unto me, and I'll give ye the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones. And note that word wagons, because they say the wheel is quite an invention, you know. And these men from the land of Canaan were not using the wagons yet. But the Egyptians were well advanced. And he says, Now take your wagons up there and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, 
for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Don't need to bring anything extra. You will have it down here. We'll furnish it to you. Children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver, five changes of raiment. To his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of the land of Egypt and came unto the land of Canaan, unto Jacob their father. They told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive. He is governor over the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted. He just couldn't believe this was true. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he'd said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. This was a thrilling moment for him. And Israel said, It's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I'll go and see him before I die. But the prospect of seeing Joseph certainly influenced Jacob to make the decision to go down to Egypt. But do you think that he intended to remain in Egypt? I don't think so. I think he intended to pay a brief visit to his son, then return back home as soon as the famine was over. But he never returned except for the burial, his own. He came back for his own funeral, for he died in the land of Egypt. And his whole family was moved down there. This is a tremendous story, and we'll follow it on. The hand of God is now very evident in the life of Joseph. Now, let me tie our strings together here. You'll recall that last time we saw that Joseph's brethren returned back to their father, Jacob, and gave a report that Joseph was still alive down in the land of Egypt and that he wanted his father to come down. Now, his father apparently had a notion of just going down and visiting him. And yet there was some reluctance and hesitation, I'm sure, to begin with. God did need to appear to him, and he does here at the beginning of this 46th chapter. God needs to appear to him very definitely because God had instructed Abraham to stay out of Egypt. And Abraham got in trouble down there. He said the same thing to Isaac. Now, the question is, should Jacob go down into the land of Egypt? Well, he needs a little more encouragement than just an invitation from his son Joseph and even from Pharaoh. He needs something that is more than a printed invitation. He needs to have a green light from God, and God's going to give that to him, of course. And then there's another thing. The last time God had appeared to Jacob, he told him to go to Bethel and that that would be the place. Now we find this man wanting to go down and visit his son. And I'm of the opinion he only went down there to spend the holidays and come back home after he'd visited him. But he never returned except for his own funeral. Now we read verse 1. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, 
and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. He took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. And here's the amazing thing. He offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. You remember the first time he left that land, going down to the land of Haran, and he came to Bethel? Was he looking for God? No, he thought he'd run away from him. And he's not seeking the mind of God at all, nor is he asking for his leading. What a contrast between Jacob and the servant of Abraham. The servant of Abraham never took a step without looking to God. Jacob took many steps and did not look to God. He wasn't counting on him at all and didn't need him in his life. It took a long time for him to find out that wasn't the proper way to go through life, and it's not the proper motivation for living, especially if you're God's man. How many people today, Christians, they go through the entire week, and God's pretty much out of their program. They make their own decisions, do what they want to do. Then they come to Sunday, and all of a sudden they find themselves very religious, and they're willing on Sunday to do God's will, and they think God's will is for them to go to church, maybe teach a Sunday school class, but they tell God goodbye Sunday night, especially when they turn on the TV and the rest of the week while God's not in the picture. This man, Jacob, never looked to God, but now he is. He comes to Beersheba. That's on the way down. And he offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. Now, I tell you, he's coming to God. Now, notice, God is going to be gracious to this man and appear to him. Listen to this now. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I'm God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. Now, God promised that he would make of Jacob a great nation down in the land of Egypt. The question now is, did God do that? Well, if you want to turn over a few pages, the book of Exodus, first chapter, verse 7, listen to this. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. There was really a population explosion of Israelites in the land of Egypt. What's the explanation? God's making good. I'm the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. So God is making good that which he promised to him. Now I read on. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes." And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, their wives, in the wagons which Pharaoh has sent to carry him. Remember now, Pharaoh had sent up these wagons. They just put Jacob in a wagon, and here they go. The thing is that Jacob had gone into that land with just a staff, leaning on his staff. He never got rid of that staff, but he's not walking anymore, nor is he running anymore. He went into that land walking. He came out running from his father-in-law Laban, 
and then was afraid to meet his own brother Esau. But now things are different. There's an improvement, definite improvement in this man, and I believe a man of faith. Now we're going to see that man of faith down in Egypt. As we said at the beginning of the study of Jacob, there are three periods in his life that are actually geographical locations. That was the land of Haran. That's the manifestation of the flesh. Then he's back in the land of Canaan. That's where he did all of his fighting. And now he goes down to the land of Egypt, and we see the man of faith down there. These three areas denote the three spiritual periods in the life of this man. That, I think, is true of a great many of us today. As believers, why we had that period, maybe we lived somewhere else. And then we moved and came in contact with the gospel and the Word of God, and we turned to Him. Then there was that period of that struggle, thought we could do it ourselves. And then there came the day when we did grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. Now, God's appeared to this man, and he's now encouraged him to go down into the land of Egypt. Now, friends, we have a whole section here, and I'm sure you have taken a look at it, and probably you thought about just cutting out the radio at this period because there's nothing in the world in here but a bunch of names. Here's another one of those long genealogies. Now, I'm of the opinion it would be profitable, really, to go through it. But don't get frightened. I'm not. I'm not going through it. Even when we have five years to go through the Bible, we can't get bogged down even in genealogies, and they're very important. But I want you to notice something now as I move on here. I'll read, beginning at verse 5. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father. Now, verse 6. They took their cattle, their goods, which they had gotten in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him. Now, he went down there for a visit, but he had to take everything. Why? There's a famine in the land. They couldn't survive if they'd stayed back in the land of Canaan. Now they go down into this land. Now, notice, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Actually, he had his children, his grandchildren, and I'm of the opinion some great-grandchildren along. And now we have here this list. His sons, his sons, sons, with him his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. This is very important. This is a genealogy that's leading to Jesus Christ to begin with, and it'll be followed through the Scripture. These are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben. And I'm not going through that, friends. Then you have the sons of Simeon, the sons of Levi, the sons of Issachar. And you just keep going on down through there. And I'm coming down now to verse 26. You can see how I'm going through this genealogy. But I want to call attention to some very important things. Let me read verse 26 of the 46th chapter of Genesis. All the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt 
which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons, wives, all the souls, were threescore and six. That's sixty-six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. Now, from Jacob there were seventy that actually went down into Egypt. Of course, Joseph and his family were already down there in the land of Egypt. Seventy souls. Now, verse 5 of the first chapter of Exodus says, "...and all the souls which came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already." Now, we've already read verse 7, where it says, "...the children of Israel, they increased, they were fruitful." And the land was filled with them, a regular population explosion. Now, I go back over this section, and you say to me, well, I'm glad you passed over all those names because I personally find them very uninteresting. Well, I do too. I have to confess that. But here are 70 people mentioned by name. Each one listed the sons of Jacob and then their offspring, why is all of that given in the Word of God? Couldn't he have given something to us more important? fact of the matter is, there's nothing more important than that. To begin with, this is the line that's leading down to the coming of Christ into the world. And part of this is in that genealogy that opens the book of Matthew. And then you move on over to the third chapter of Luke, and there's another genealogy some of these names appear there. This is important for that reason and that reason alone. But there's another side to this, and it's very personal. Have you ever heard of the Lamb's Book of Life? And the question is, is your name written there? You get there by faith in Christ, just as you got into the line of Adam, and we're all in that line. Why you get in the line of Christ? By the same way, a birth. Only now it's a new birth. And that comes about by receiving him as your personal Savior. Now, when you do that, you become a child of God. How important are you? Well, the thing that interests me a great deal is that I don't know you, and probably most of you do not know me personally, but God knows you. And in fact, the hairs of your head are numbered. He knows you better than anyone else. He knows you and loves you more than your mother ever did. Your mother never counted the hairs of your head. I don't imagine God did. God knows you personally. Here are these names. They mean nothing to me. I was looking at the news on TV when they had these great big rock festivals that they've been having across the country, and some of them, 100,000, what, 200,000 people. And you look at that mob of dirty, filthy Folk. And that's what they are, the ones I saw. It had rained, and they, I understand they didn't take a bath anyway. And believe me, the rain didn't wash them off. It just put more mud on them. And as you looked at all of those young people, God knows each one of them, and God loves each one of them. Christ died for each one of them. And when you look at a great stadium today filled with football fans, with no thought of God whatsoever, but that quarterback down there is very important to them. They know a great deal about him. 
but they don't know anything about God. And yet God knows each one of them, and each one is precious in the sight of the Lord. I don't know who you are, but in this day of this great population explosion with literally millions of people around us today, you are an individual to God. You run through these names here, and you say, well, I'm not interested, and candidly, I'm not. I don't know them. God does, and God delighted in putting their names down here because they are His. And that again causes me to ask the question, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Now we come in verse 28 here, and notice this. Joseph goes up to Goshen to meet his father Jacob. Now notice, and he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came under the land of Goshen. You see, Judah had been down there before. Verse 29, Now, and Joseph made ready his chariot, and he went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. What a picture we have here. We have the picture of the prodigal son coming home. Well, he's not a prodigal son. Joseph is not. Actually, it's almost the other way around. His dad was an old prodigal, but Joseph wasn't quite like that. But here, oh, what a marvelous meeting this is. He fell on the neck of his father, embraced him, and he wept there. And the Word of God says it was a good while. I don't know how long a good while is, but I mean it just wasn't a brisk handshake. That may be meaningless. This is quite real. Verse 30, And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. What a joy this was to old Jacob. And frankly, friends, I think that the old man was about ready to die. And you're going to notice that he lasts a few more years down in the land of Egypt. He barely made this trip, but he made it and got down to the land of Egypt. And now we find that Israel and Joseph brought together. And you notice he's called Israel here. Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I've seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren, and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh, and say unto him, My brethren, and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, have come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, What's your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth, even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination under the Egyptians. Now, they had the same problem in that day that they had in the West in the early days. I remember when I was just a boy in West Texas, I tell you, the man that tried to raise sheep in that area, he was in trouble, and I mean real trouble. He found out he didn't have any neighbors at all. And the Egyptians just didn't care for shepherds. It's interesting that the Word of God has had so much to say because these people were shepherds. They raised sheep. They still do it in that land. 
And this is the figure of speech that is taken to speak of our Lord. He's known as the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd of the sheep today. He watches over them, and he's the chief shepherd. He's yet to appear. He is the shepherd. He calls himself that. And the shepherds are still an abomination to the world. He's not received today, of course. I mean the Lord Jesus as he is, not the one that liberalism has concocted. They've made an idol that doesn't even look like the Lord Jesus of the Bible. The one they talk about is not virgin-born. He never performed miracles, and he never died for the sins of the world, and he wasn't raised bodily. Now, may I say that's the Jesus of the liberal. Now, he never lived. Never lived. There's no record of a Jesus like that. The only one we have record of, he died for the sins of the world. He was virgin-born. He performed miracles, and he rose bodily from the grave. That's the shepherd that the world doesn't like. The one they've made, they like him very much. But this is now the shepherd that is not accepted. But here... The shepherds were an abomination under the Egyptians. Now, Joseph's just a nice little word of caution. He says, when you come in before Pharaoh, tell him you raise cattle. Well, is that accurate? Yes, they were cattle raisers. They had cattle and sheep. And you're going to find out, though, later on, that after they give them the land of Goshen, that they also turn over their sheep because they didn't want to take care of sheep. The children of Israel were the shepherds for the sheep in the land of Egypt. And we are going to see next time something quite wonderful, and I'd like to prepare you for that because we find that the family of Jacob is now dwelling in the land of Goshen, and that's going to be their home, and it's going to be their home for a long time. And we find that Joseph is going to introduce his family now to Pharaoh, And we're going to find out that they are going to stay down in the land of Goshen, which actually is the richest land down there, and that they will eventually, of course, after the death of Joseph, will become slaves in the land of Egypt. But all that time, God is with them. They become a great nation down there. And then it's Moses who's going to lead them out. Now, God has not appeared to Joseph at all up to this point. And I just might add, he's not going to appear to him. It's the providence of God that you see in the life of Joseph now. And we can see that he has come ahead to prepare the way for these people to come down into the land of Egypt.